encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, the same passage we considered this morning. We looked at the first three petitions this morning, the last three uh, tonight. It's been a great privilege to be with you this weekend. Uh, I will be glad to be back in Florida. They don't work me as hard as y'all have this weekend. Uh, and yet, uh, it's been a joy to be here and spend time with you to open God's Word uh, and just to see what the Lord's doing and saved for us. And uh, may the Lord continue to bless all that you do in the name of Christ uh, for the glory of God. Matthew 6, verses 11 through 13, we'll focus in, I'll read the whole prayer, we'll focus on those last three petitions, again, with the idea of prayer is an opportunity, this morning, an opportunity to plead for the expansion of the kingdom of God through the church as we seek God's glory, and now a chance to pray for our own needs, and so looking, even as Jesus encouraged us to do, to pray for ourselves. Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 13. The Bible is inspired and errant, infallible word of God. It's our only rule of faith and practice. Here are the words of Jesus. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. May God bless the reading of his holy word and the preaching of it. And so we've looked at the God-centered focus of the first three, very much looking our eyes first heavenward to our Heavenly Father, being concerned with his name and the way in which it's treated, being concerned with the kingdom of God to the extent to which it's been extended, and concerned with the will of God, that it would be honored and lived out in people's lives. And so Jesus first says, that's where I want your prayers to go. That's where I want your eyes to start. That's where I want your attention to start with a, a focus upon God himself and the needs of his kingdom. And then he says, here's more prayers. And so we have to be thinking carefully about it. He's teaching us to pray for ourselves. And yet that step, it must be one that's taken cautiously. For we tend to be a selfish people. I don't know if you know that or not, but then I tend to be a selfish person. I'm concerned more with myself. And the Bible warns us over and over again about selfishness. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 1 John 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And then the beginning of a, a long list of sins in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2, he begins this way. For people will be lovers of self. It's the, it's the way we often are bent. It's the way... It's what sin does. It pulls us inward. It causes us to be concerned about ourselves only. And so be warned of that. Even as we go to these petitions, to be reminded that God says to us through His Son that I want you to pray for God's name to be hallowed. I want you to pray for His kingdom to come. And I want you to pray for His will to be done. But He doesn't stop there. He does give us this call, this permission, this door of opportunity whereby we can go further than that and indeed look to our own interests, to not 
exclusively to ourselves, that we would indeed be, have a God orientation about our, our lives, that we would be more concerned about the needs of other people around us. And yet, in his grace, he says, you can pray these things for yourself. And not only encourage it, I'll tell you how to do it. All the specific requests that you can make unto me that I'll be pleased to answer. And so with that in mind, we ask the question, how will I make sure that I won't simply fall into selfishness? What, what preventative measures can be put in place whereby I won't run to selfishness even in these last three petitions? And I think the answer is simply to be reminded of the order and be overly concerned with the glory of God. To be preoccupied, as it were, with the glory of God. That's the, that's the most important thing in my life. That that's where I start my day. That's where I start my prayers. That's where I start my concern with God's own glory. So I'd be preoccupied with these things. It ought to change the way I view everything. Remember the Lord Jesus himself. John chapter 8 says, I honor my Father. I seek not my own glory. Now Jesus says that. It makes sense. He could say he could be preoccupied with his own glory. And yet he says, even I second member of the Trinity, I am worried about my Father, not myself. I want my Father to be glorified. And so in doing so, there we find the sense of being able to have a humility about ourselves. That I would first and foremost think about my Father's glory. I would prefer God to be glorified over my own concerns. So think of it in several categories. How am I preferring God's glory over me? I would much prefer God's glory over my own reputation. That even if it would mean that my reputation, that my name would somehow be trampled, if it can do so for the name and the cause of Christ, then, then let it be the case. It's okay. I'm not worried about my own reputation. Acts chapter 5 says the apostles rejoiced that they counted it worthy to suffer shame for his name. It's okay to be disgraced as long as in that being disgraced, God is glorified. So be willing to prefer God's glory over our reputation. Be willing to prefer God's glory over our relations, that is, our, our own family. Even our own flesh and blood, which should be, on a certain level, very dear to us. And yet, this, the scriptures are very clear. Jesus says, if any man comes to me and hates not his own father and mother, he cannot be my disciple. There's a sense in which I'd say even my family, I'm willing to let that go if God can be glorified in that. So again, preferring God's glory over my reputation or my relations or certainly my possessions. So what is stuff compared to the glory of God? I pursue things all the days of my life, but be willing to, to let them go. Even if we're going to be permitted to pray for provision in a moment to say those things are secondary. I care about the glory of God, first and foremost. And even to prefer God's glory before our own lives. Revelation 12, verse 11, speaks about those who have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their own lives even to death. I'd rather die than take away from the glory of God. I would lay it down, as it were. Literally or figuratively, I lay it down for God himself and for his glory. 
It was St. Augustine. He once said, love God and do whatever you please. Love God and do whatever you please. And the first time, if that's the first time you ever heard that, it should trouble you a little bit. Because I know when I do whatever I please, that's not always a good thing. But he put it together and says, love God and do whatever you please. The full statement from Augustine goes like this. Love God and do whatever you please for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. And so I say to you, pursue God's glory and pray about anything you want. Be concerned with the glory of God and the expansion of the kingdom of God and the people be doing the will of God. And then after that, pray for anything your heart desires. Because once we're oriented the right way, once we understand the first three positions, then these last three are in context. And I'm not as concerned about selfishness because I'm not worried first and foremost about myself. I only want God's name to be lifted up. And then, with that right posture in mind, then pray as the Lord Jesus has given us permission to pray. So how are we to understand these three petitions such that we pray for them in a proper way? Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How do we understand these? There's three petitions. The first is essentially a prayer for provision. Consider a prayer for provision. It says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And so think for a moment about the, the uh, petition. It is, it's asking for food and therefore a reminder that our bodies matter. God has made us body and soul and our, our bodies matter. We know that God says you can ask for things that provide for your body. It's not unchristian or or unspiritual, as it were, to, to care for your bodies. The, God cares for them. God cares and desires that they would be, your needs would be met. Food or clothing or whatever else we might need in order to live. It's important to God. He reminded, of course, the Apostle Paul spent large amounts of time collecting money. Why was he doing that? Because there were believers in Jerusalem who had been suffering from the famine. And he wanted to be able to make sure they could have provision for their own bodies. It's a Christian thing to do. It's a concern of God's. And therefore, Jesus says you can pray for that. Even in Acts chapter 6, where the concern is these apostles who should be spending their time in ministry of prayer in the Word, they, they're, they're having to take that time caring for widows. And they don't say the widows aren't important or the, the widows eating are not important. They say that's, that's hugely important to, to wait on tables to serve their practical need, like for bread and for drink, it's massively important. So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that's provided for. They don't say give up that kind of work. They say you do one thing, we'll set up others, we'll take care of that. To make sure it's done consistently and efficiently because food, physical matters, they, they matter to us. They matter to God himself. And so praying for bread is important. Praying for bread is a reminder that God is the provider of all things. Bread is one of the most basic elements there are. And God is the provider of that. And so we, we look at his providence, you know, which is universal, to make sure that bread gets on the tables and all kinds of things have to happen. Climate issues, agricultural issues, uh, economic issues, they have to work themselves out. And so, 
so God returned him, even for the most basic of things, which is not so simple after all. So God has to ordain all of that. He calls it to happen. Pray for bread. Not only reminds us that God is the provider of all things, but also says something about us. Remember, Jesus is here encouraging us, commanding us to pray for our daily bread. It's interesting. I think he could have said, pray for weekly bread or, or monthly bread. Or why not? Let's just say, pray for yearly bread. I mean, how much simpler would that be? Just pray one time and you get the whole year's worth. And yet, what is, what is God doing but reminding us that we are a people absolutely dependent upon our God all the time. And therefore, he brings us to this point where he'll say, every day you need to be reminded of that. And this sense of provision, of daily bread, it fosters a, a prayerfulness like nothing else will. It fosters a, a, a dependence upon the Lord in a, a way that nothing else does. And so God urges us to see not only his provision, but also our, our need through that. Of course, if we're honest with ourselves, we say that, that daily having bread on our tables is not a massive trouble for most of us. In fact, most of us struggle the opposite way. We're not asking for daily bread. We're asking for daily bread in some very specific kind, an expensive kind, a nice kind. Our problem is not that we, we don't have stuff. Our problem is that we want lots and lots of stuff. So it's greed is our problem, not, not lacking certain things, but having too much of it and wanting it all the time. Just to be reminded, this sense of daily bread is also that reminder of the way in which God has made us to be dependent creatures. Proverbs chapter 30, there's that wonderful word where the, the writer says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? But lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. It is in this petition, give us this daily bread, that we reorient our minds and say, Lord, help me to be content with whatever you have been pleased to give me. May I ask for nothing beyond that. May my heart not be set on more than that. But to be content, God has given me provision for today. I'm content. And so the first petition is a prayer for provision. We would be a dependent people upon the Lord. The second petition is a petition for pardon. A prayer for pardon. Give us this day our daily bread and, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we went into this a bit on Saturday morning, so so forgive me if you heard a little bit of this, but there is this sense that we, where, where Jesus commands us to pray for our sins to be forgiven. And we're reminded, of course, through the gospel that the Lord Jesus has taken away our sins as far as the east is from the west. That God, in his wonderful work of justification, has taken away our sins and given us the righteousness of Christ, whereby we receive that by faith uh, and faith alone. And we have this glorious standing before God is justified. And therefore, the question would arise, why would we, why would we need to keep on asking for, for, for sin, uh, for the forgiveness of our sins? And the short answer, just to re remind you from the other day, is because we keep on sinning. And there's a sense in which we need to be thinking about not just the, our standing before God, but our everyday relationship with God. The Lord Jesus, make this, make this very, let me make this very clear. The Lord Jesus has secured your standing before God. 
The Lord Jesus, by his life and death and resurrection and ascension, he has secured that your sins are removed, you're, you're righteous before God now and forever. There is no debating the standing of the Christian before God so long as he's truly converted, places faith in Christ, repent of his sins, and there's an evidence of faith, a persevering faith. There's no debating that of our standing before God. But what we're concerned about here is the way in which that daily relationship works itself out. I'm not concerned if I'm standing before God. I'm concerned about what that daily standing looks like. The quality of that standing. The quality of that relationship today. Think of it this way. The Lord Jesus will encourage us. And Paul as well will tell us that we need to, to deal with our sins every day. To not let the sun go down on our anger. Right? Why? You let the sun go down on your anger with your spouse or with someone else. What happens in that relationship? Well, you don't really want to talk the next day, do you? Then you might grow cold towards that person and bitter towards that person. And so there's this relational struggle that you'll have because it hasn't been dealt with. And so here's God telling us that we need to ask for our sins to be forgiven, ongoing asking for that as we have been forgiven so that our hearts don't grow cold towards God. That our communication with God is not interrupted in that way. We don't become lazy and different or scared or shameful of that. Our own confessional, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 11, puts it this way. God has continued to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves and confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. And so that's where Jesus is at work. That's his concern here. That we would, we would not have to go through that because our Heavenly Father, who has adopted us as his children, he expects that we would obey him. When we don't, there's displeasure. And he makes that known. Even in David's life where he says, the, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. That wasn't a bad thing. That was a good thing. So David realized this distance which David is creating in this relationship. And so David confesses his sins, runs back to his God, and understands the joy of this relationship. So we're to pray for the forgiveness of our sins ongoing because of the quality of that relationship. And yet, notice one more thing. He adds this. We're to pray that to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Ask Master. Think of this uh, as a Christian. Our sins are completely forgiven. And yet, what will that relationship look like on a daily basis? And part of it is the way in which we're treating others. Specifically, are we forgiving other people? Look down in verses 14 and 15, the same passage. Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's clear he's saying. That we begin to understand that, that our prayers, we must not expect our prayers for forgiveness to be heard 
if there's malice in our heart towards others, if you are not going to forgive others, Jesus dies, there are consequences for that. For God's desire to do a good work in you and through you to forgive others. And therefore, we have this sense of our prayers are nothing without a loving, forgiving spirit in our own hearts. To say, forgive me, God, when we're unwilling to do that, it's hypocrisy. It's to say, God, I don't really mean for you to forgive me because I'm not willing to do it through others. It doesn't mean, of course, our standing with God has changed as Christians, but it does mean if that is the consistent uh, words from our heart, if that's the, the consistent thoughts from our mind, it either calls our standing with God in the first place into question. That means the Lord needs to soften our hearts before we come back asking for forgiveness because we, we haven't understood the nature of it. You didn't deserve to be forgiven in the first place. And therefore, freely you've been given, therefore, freely give it to other people. And then, understand the joy that is ours in this petition for pardon. The last petition is a prayer for protection. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word temptation, when we use it today, is almost universally understood to be a negative thing. Uh, it means to solicit someone to do evil. It makes it difficult to read because in James chapter 1, verse 13, of course, you're, you're reminded that God doesn't tempt anyone. And so when you read this prayer for protection, lead us not into temptation, it assumes that God does do this very thing, that he, he leads us into temptation. The trouble, of course, is up into the 17th century, that word usually meant a testing. And now it can mean either way. The idea of temptation and testing. James, even uh, in the verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, uses it in this way, a, a sense of testing. And so J.I. Packer, to, to help us a little bit, puts it to us this way. Temptations are Satan's work. But Satan is God's tool as well as his foe. And it's ultimately God himself who leads his servants into temptation, permitting Satan to try to to seduce them for good purposes of his own. However, though temptations do not overtake men apart from God's will, the actual prompting to do wrong is not of God, nor does it express his command. The desire which impels to sin is not God's own, and it's fatal to yield to it. Let me try to give you a picture of what this might look like. Think of it this way. The situations in which we find ourselves where the exit door is very clearly seen. It's marked as of this door. I'm in this situation and I know where exit is. I know how to get out of it because of passages like 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can bear up underneath it. I'm tempted, but I see where God is delivering me. I see the means he's provided. I see the way of escape. And yet at the same time, there are situations where we can find ourselves in where that door is not so easy to see. That sign is not so easily marked. And therefore, we become fearful of how might I get out of it. You begin to understand that sense of longing and looking for that door. You begin to understand something of the petition, the prayer for protection that Jesus is praying. God, 
please don't let me get in a spot where I'm being tested in such a way that I either can't see the door or I not have the strength I need to say to say no to sin, to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in Christ Jesus. Don't let me get there, God. But nonetheless, help me have eyes to see and the faith to stand that I might be able to run to that door and have that. So have that escape. And so therefore, this prayer, it's a prayer for protection. Don't let me fail. Don't let me fail the test. Don't let me not have the resources I need. Don't let me be around such evil as I can't stand up underneath it. But God, would you in every way provide a way of escape? May I be found faithful. May I be found having all my needs met in Christ Jesus that I might glorify you even in this testing which you have allowed and the devil is taking advantage of and I'm struggling with my sin, but Lord, may you be found faithful as I pray this prayer of protection. And so as we begin to think about our own needs, think of it this way. The prayers for provision, prayers for pardon, prayers for protection. I want you to understand this is not selfish. And even as we begin to put all this together, it, it goes something like this, that I am going to have a Godward focus about my life, that I'd be overly concerned, first and foremost, concerned about the glory of God and the kingdom of God and the will of God. And then I would be able, within that, to begin to pray these specific prayers, provision and pardon and protection. And wanting, even in my prayers, to be able to connect that all together. You gotta say, I want to pray for this daily provision so that I might honor my God, or pray for pardon that God's name might be glorified, or pray for protection that I might not dishonor the name of God. And we should long and try to, to put all that together. And yet, sometimes it's hard to mark all that out, to be so able to connect the dots, as it were. And yet, you look through the scriptures and you find the prayers of God's people, and at times, Surely they didn't fully understand how the prayer for their own needs would, would make a difference in the kingdom of God. And yet, in faith, they prayed. I'll give you some examples of that. Solomon, been made king at a very young age and given opportunity to pray unto God. And this is the way he prayed. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. So a, a prayer of provision. He's wanting to pray for wisdom. He says, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Bible says the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. So God said to him, since you ask for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Solomon made a personal request. There was something of a, a kingdom mindedness about it. He wanted to fulfill his role in a godly way, and God used that far above he, ways in which he ever imagined, giving him wealth and wisdom and long life, all to serve God's purposes. I'll give you another example. Think of Zechariah father of John the Baptist. We know that he'd been praying for a while about having a son. Because the Bible says when the angel appeared to him, we read these words in Luke 1 verse 13. 
Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. Now, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I wouldn't. I'd bet he had no idea what was coming in the son and the, the role this son would play. He's praying for a desire of his heart, that God would give him a child. And God takes that prayer and uses it for kingdom purposes. My point being, we don't always understand how they work themselves out, but I'll pray in faith. Pray with those things in mind, and God is pleased to answer them in his perfect wisdom and his perfect timing. I think of Hezekiah, king of Israel. He was ill, and we're told he was about to die. And he prays to God, 2 Kings chapter 20. Remember, Lord, how I walk before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah went bitterly. The Bible says before Isaiah left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and I've seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I'll deliver you and your city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. God is great. Heard his prayer. He's praying for good help. God, would you, would, would you look at me and would you, would you intervene in my life? And God is gracious to give, us, give him 15 more years. It was interesting in those 15 years, what does God do but provide him a son? His name is Manasseh. He was an evil king. But nonetheless, what God is doing, even in giving him that particular son, he's preserving the Davidic line so God can be faithful to meet out his promises. And so here's the plea. As best we can, be kingdom-minded in all our prayers. Be concerned first and foremost about God and his glory. And then pray for provision and pardon and protection, trusting that God knows what he's doing, trusting that God can take those prayers as jumbled as they may be and work them out according to his plan and his purposes. And so here in closing, let me encourage you simply to examine yourself. My fear is there are thousands and thousands of people who pray this prayer every day. And they don't mean any of it. There's no sense in which they are concerned with glory and kingdom and the will of God. There's no sense of dependence, and therefore they desire to pray for provision. No sense of their own sinfulness, therefore they're praying for pardon. No sense of their own weakness and the danger of their situation, therefore praying for protection. They, they know none of that. And they're just vainly repeating these words. May that not be true of us. May God in his grace give us the blessing of being able to understand these prayers and therefore from our hearts to be able to call God our Heavenly Father, the Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the one who is willing to do all these things. And so therefore may we be, be eager to give a, a heartfelt amen to these specific petitions. And therefore to pray it and pray it again and again. The understanding, knowing that Father, and trusting that Father to answer these prayers as best He sees fit. May God do that work in our hearts, even this morning. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I do pray you would give us a great understanding of this. But more than that, give us a great heart to long for these things, to be, yes, able to pray for our needs, but all the more concerned about you and your glory and your kingdom and your will. Shape us, O Lord, as your servants. The same gospel which is sweet to our ears to save us. May it be ever in our ears, shaping our prayers, shaping our desires to be to be a part of this kingdom and the furthering of it. Bless us, O Lord, with a greater knowledge of your Son. Make us a praying people. And would you be gracious to hear our prayers. We ask in Christ's name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen.